Welcome everyone to the Cultural Pulse podcast. On this episode, we had a multi-dimensional conversation on Pacific identity, music, hip-hop, Western Sydney, and some of the amazing talent that's coming through at local and international level. We spoke to MC Trey from Tapestry and Sevil Wanga from Coconut Vibes, and uh, we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Cultural Pulse podcast. Cultural Pulse is a global micro-community tech company supporting organizations to engage micro-communities better. Each episode will connect you with the pulse of what's actually happening in different micro-communities across Australia and New Zealand and get under the hood of cultural behaviours, perspectives and new experiences. Stay updated with Cultural Pulse on our website, download our app and subscribe to our social channels. All right, so welcome to the Cultural Pulse podcast. This is actually episode number three so we've got the fijian and pacific representation right up there and the one before that was actually having us (laughs) it's great to have you on here and it's happened quite organically hasn't it it certainly has i think you've manifested it (laughs) so so um today we're gonna we're gonna go and we're gonna talk i'd love to hear about what you're doing we know we know that you're both very community-minded um, you've been here for a long time, so you ride multiple worlds, multiple cultures, multiple dimensions. Um, you know, we, we may talk about this topic of intersectionality, which is interesting. You can teach us about that. Um, <clears throat> I want to learn more about your school's programs, music, the connection with music and culture, identity, this multi, notion of multi-dimensional notion of identity, and how that sits here for... Uh, second generation as well, um, Fiji and Aussies, uh, Pacific Aussies. You know, what what does that mean? And exploring that a little bit more, um, and then a little bit just about organisations and how organisations are engaging with the Pacific at the moment and how that's changed over time. Thelma Thomas is the name, um, and MC Trey is my hip hop artist name, and been doing music for. Um, close to 20 years and working with young people um, here on um, Gadigal land and you know important that we pay respects to you know the the First Nations and custodians of this land that we're gathering upon here today. I'm very blessed to be able to be here you know born in Fiji spent 13 years over there and then migrated here you know as a young person um, very blessed to have all these opportunities to continue to share our stories in in this space. Can you intro yourself as well? Obviously, she's an MC. She does it so well, so tight, so smooth. Right? She goes right into it. Um, yes. Yeah, so Sevu Wanga um, from Fiji as well, and um, spent most of my life in Australia. I was raised in Fiji as well in the earlier parts, and that was wonderful. So um, as far as my work, I wear too many hats to to talk about. So yeah, I'll just, um, I suppose a lot of the work has been here in Australia as well as in Fiji as far as the Fiji and Pacific community, especially in terms of community development, um, a lot around social justice as well. So it kind of incorporates a lot into that and um, 
just uh, being able to have the opportunity and the capacity to to learn and also to participate, to share, and to help others um, in the process. You know, so it's quite wide as far as which way that would go. So, what, why why have both of you chosen to work with the community after being here? Um, for me. I think when I migrated, I really missed not being able to be a Pacific youth, you know, and like, because, you know, I left when I was 13, so um, learned a lot about Fijian culture, Pacific culture, but then when I got here, I was like, where am I? I don't see myself on TV or in the newspapers, and, you know, where can I go and create? Where can I go and, you know, connect with um, young people like myself. So I started going to events and then eventually learning to create my own events as well, you know, to create these spaces. And this is where I've learned more about what it is to be Fiji and Samoan, Aussie, you know, growing up in Sydney. And, and that drew, you know, for me there was something missing. So I was like, okay, I need to be able to recreate this for others. Yeah. And that's where we met in that space, you know, many years ago. Many years ago. <laughs> for me it's... Um my family has always been very involved in way back in Fiji. So my dad was one of the elders and really um, as a pioneer, um, not only in Fiji but also here in terms of his work with... We were raised in a village and um, I've lived in multiple villages as well. So uh, besides the uh, my village, which is called Dautata in Bau... Uh, uh, in Tailevu. Um, for Fijians, they'll know where that is, or else you'll look it up. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so we were, we were basically born into the whole family, was born into seeing, uh, you know, our family t- partake in fundraising, building a church, you know, doing movie cinemas in the, in the um, church hall to raise funds and all kinds of festivals and so forth. So it was very part of our upbringing. So when we came over to Australia, it was the same thing, you know. Dad um, is one of the, um, the founders of the um, Fiji um, Uniting Church here in Canterbury um, and uh, amongst a couple of uh, other elders there at the time. And so that was the first established Fijian church. He did the same in the village, right, uh, building our village church. And all sorts of things like bus companies, you know. Um, we were the, the first uh, Fiji-owned, Fijian-owned bus company to transport our own people and, and as well for, you know, for everyone else, those sort of things. So it was always creating things, started the co-op here to bring food and fresh food and so forth from Fiji as well back in the 80s, you know. So those sort of things has always been part of the, my life, so it's nothing new for me to, be, uh, to organically go to being part of community and seeing what I can do to help others and so forth. So. Do you think um, both of you did that because you're essentially first generation? Are you seeing the younger kids, the kids that are born here, doing the same? Or what, what, what are you observing I, I think um, it's a bit more challenging for the young people that have been raised here because they're still trying to navigate, you know, this space. Um, and I think just listening to your story, it reminds me of, you know, the influence that we have in our homes, right? You mm. know, our fathers yes. were part – they were building infrastructures for our community, whether it was Fiji or here, you know. Good so, point, yeah. Um, I think – it, it highlights the importance of having that right mentorship, you know, or the leadership around 
the young people in order for them to see that it's the norm for us to That's be. Right. If there isn't an avenue or a pathway, we can create mm. it. Let's create it. Let's not wait for things to be given to us. So, yes. You know, I didn't realize your dad did so much of that. I knew about the church influence. But, you know, my dad did similar things in Fiji, but with sports, you know, mm. training boys in boxing, playing football, taking guys to the Commonwealth Games. Mm. You know, we grew up with um, sports people living in our homes when they'd come over to play sports. So I'd watch my dad build that infrastructure. Mm. And only reflecting on it now, I'm like, that's how it influenced me to do what I do, you know, creating these spaces. And I guess young people here um, are trying to, but there's still a lot more support that needs to go into, you know, showing them the pathways that exist and providing that mentorship. Yeah. I think that there's still, at the same time, it's a generational you know, part of a generational journey um, mm. with uh, the younger ones they're still trying to find their path, um, trying to identify themselves within the context of, you know, being in, in Australia and so forth. And um, also, we were here at a time where those services were not available widely for us as well, you know, the, in terms of support settlement. Services yes, and support uh, services and settlement. Now... Even when you're talking about events and things, you know, um, that's the, that has changed. The landscape has changed dramatically um, where the peak of our events, there was, you know, 20,000, 30,000 people. Um, whilst now it's because of the landscape changing, people are identifying themselves differently and there are a lot of these things available that they have tapped into that there's no, you know, the, the need for that is perhaps not as, as, as um, large and it's a generational thing. You find that the older ones, but then to having said that, because the young people are going through this own journey of trying to find out who they are and perhaps they've been in, you know, their parents may have been ones that have decided to go mainstream with the way that they, you know, to integrate that way. And so a lot of the young people are coming to us saying, we want to find out where we're from. Mm -hmm. We want to learn our culture. We want to learn the language. My parents never taught me this. You know, they never taught me about the culture, the language. So they themselves are trying to find their identity with that. While their parents were comfortable enough with who they were to then venture elsewhere. Now the younger people are sort of looking back to that. The teenagers, so, yeah. yeah, very hungry to mm -hmm. connect with, you know. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them talking about going back to the islands yes. to spend time to learn the culture and to be immersed in the village mm -hmm. setting. And it's almost like this romantic notion that we have when we live here, right, that you'll go back to this perfect village setting. Unfortunately, it's not like that. You it know? is for two weeks, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. And then it's time to come back. But, you know, it's, it's um, exciting to see that hunger amongst our young people to learn more, you know. And is that a function of, because, I mean, there's a, this debate in Australia, this assimilation and integration, and we talk about identity in a very two-dimensional way, really. Um, but we're all multi-dimensional beings yes. and it you know the, the this nation construct I, I think australia is still very nascent in terms of what it what it means to be australian and we're living it you know first generation second generation we're living it in 50 years time we're going to have a much new more nuanced understanding of this this what what it means mm. so 
yeah, what are your thoughts about that, the idea of having multidimensional identities in a place where it, all of that may not be recognized? Yeah, I think that firstly it's the awareness because there's this uh, struggle that um, it's seen so much as in, you know, you identify as this and there's not even the awareness that you could be multidimensional, that you could embrace lots of different things. And one of the things that I say to young people when what happens is, uh, for example, um, young people that identify as Fijians will come to me and uh, they said, oh, um, I was told by so-and-so that I'm not Fijian enough or, um, you know, they call me this, they, they start to label them or categorize them according to the percentage of... Yeah, you know? and how much they speak, how much it's they know. Melanin, how much they know. You they know they I mean? call like, it plastic. They have a term and it really yeah, so get, upsets me to hear that Exactly, term. you know, because I, I don't look like um, what you'd call, what you would classify as a classic uh, Fijian indigenous person. But um, if you asked me, I, and, and the way that I live or think... Um, the way I identify in so many dimensions is, um, is I am very much so. So what I, basically what I say back to the young people is don't let anyone define who you are. It is up to you to create that. And so don't let that limit you or diminish who you could be. If you identify as that, then be all that, you know. Whether you are a Fiji, you know, even coming down, because a lot of us have mixtures, you know. I have um, Chinese blood in me from my mother's side. Um, a small percentage of that, but then you've got those in Fiji who are also um, Indians who um, who could identify as being from India or Indian Fijians or Fijians, depending on whichever term you're going to use, right? Whatever you're comfortable with. But the point is, is don't let somebody else define that for you. You need to find that out for yourself and, and be, embrace it and be comfortable with it. That's your journey, and it's not anybody to tell you who you are. You need to tell yourself and you need to be awakened to that. Awakened. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> nice. And Trey? Can you ask the question again? Yeah. Please? <laughs> how, how do you, how would you express kind of this multi-dimensional identity and, I, and, and what friction exists if people don't want to recognize that or receive that? Yeah, I mean, following on from what Seb was saying, you know, what what is the traditional Fijian or the traditional Pacific person? What do they look like? You know, and I always remind people, we live here in Sydney. We're, this is what this is our experience. This is who we are. You know, we're having the Australian ex experience, not that we don't live in the island. So of course, we're going to be influenced by what's happening here around us. You know, and it changes every day culture changes it's never mm. going to be stagnant whether it's our indigenous cultures or the cultures that we thrive in and the little subcultures that we live in within every day so we i feel like we're constantly negotiating what it is and reconciling mm. you know who are we what Great are we words. doing and um you know i think having these discussions then encourage young people to think okay then who am i because usually we just get lumped into you know the, you're this cultural group and you play this sport and you listen to this music and then this is what you do but that's not the case and our young people are showing us this so when when the colonizers came through that's the, right when they the came peaceful people that's right these are the you know peaceful people and 
the Pacific people, the geography, the naming of these are these people, and they are the Melanesians, they are the Polynesians, they are the Micronesians. These are terms that the colonizers used. Hmm, labels. Right? Labels. You know, so when you strip all that back, the Pacific people were very different in the way that they lived, traded, the way they respected, the way they moved around. There are cultures of what you would call Tongans in Fiji, Fiji's in Tonga, Fiji's in Samoa, Samoans in Fiji. I, because the ocean was not seen as a barrier or, or, or a limitation. The ocean was seen as a highway to connect. Mm. That was where the interconnectedness came in, you know? And so it's, it's rethinking about how we ourselves have been conditioned to think and we, are, we need to redefine what those things are. That's a whole other topic in conversation. But, but this but, is mm. where podcasts and <laughs> avenues like this are important because it encourages us to think about, you know, topics like this in this context and then it influences others because, you know... I guess we have to encourage our young people and then even our adults as well. We have adults that go through their whole life not tapping into who they really are, you know? Mm. So It's an interesting one because it's almost, it's important to an extent, but then once you identify that, you kind of transcend that and then, you you know, you're a, you're a human with interests. But because a friend of mine said to me the other day, he's like, oh, we should try and aim to get to a place where it's just about your interests, right? Like hip-hop or schools or programs or community programs and then I'm like but then you're washing away what does exist from a cultural perspective and then it doesn't stay alive in a way hmm. so what do you think of that the kind of at what point do you at what point is culture important say for a, somebody in western a kid in western sydney growing up second generation and at what point do they just go oh I'm interested in hip hop and I'm part of the the broader aussie community and I don't identify with that anymore um, mm. You know, for humans, identity is, a, is quite an important thing, right? Feeling the sense of or making meaning and putting um, meaning around who you are, where you're from. You know, these are important things to a lot of, to everyone, I think, um, at large, you know? So to, um, I'm, I'm using that term that way or uh, positioning it that way because it's, it's so broad. Um, Different people have different um, passions, and, and for some, identity is a very, very important thing. And then you need to ask, well, what does identity mean to that person, to that individual? Do you know why? Mm. And so it really comes down to that, mm. to, to the person and so forth. Because obviously, a person that says, no, it shouldn't be that, it should be the interest, then where where obviously um then where do you um which context and where do you stand with everything mm. Mm. because do you know what i mean if you've got no point of reference mm, exactly yeah how then do you what are you then you know there's that, that can create confusion and i think that that's mm. why identity is important to a lot of people and of course you can overdo that and then you have all these categories and so forth that carry on and carry on and then it becomes restrictive it becomes yeah. an imprisonment so More labels yeah so it's a whole big thing to unpack right but i think it comes down to the individual at the end of the day mm. yeah Definitely the individual and, you know, I resonate a lot with that story of 
coming over and then trying to find my tribe or my group. Where do I fit in? Mm. So I guess that's why I drifted towards hip-hop culture because I felt like, okay, this is a group that I resonate with. I like what they're talking about, you know, um, and this is where I can kind of share my stories but then I also learned to tell my stories because I didn't see it told anywhere else and in other platforms mm. you know so out of that being able to write and create and perform and share my stories through that to influence others mm. um, you know so my identity through my teenage years was a hip-hop artist there weren't that many <laughs> Pacific people in the media you know I had I hosted a TV show on the Foxtel um, network with Channel V um, you know I did a lot of media stuff and performances and I used to remember saying yep yeah, I'm a Pacific person Where, where's Fiji you know what are the islands so you know there weren't that many so I was creating my identity through hip-hop but as I got older I, I would drifted back and was drawn back more towards my indigenous culture and learning more about Fiji and now Samoan heritage and mm. and it does come down to the individual and what they are comfortable with and what they what they want to learn I have cousins and siblings that don't want to learn about their traditional heritage mm. but that's just me I'm choosing to and that it, it does come down to the individual you so know you mentioned um, when you came over you felt that it was missing that kind of growing up in the Pacific that that was missing. What, what, what was that? So for, for Aussies who would not be familiar with what it's like growing up in the Pacific or growing up in Fiji, what are those things that make you feel at home? You know, you can, you play with your neighbours, you know, like, you know, as a, as a, <laughs> as a child, um, you can, it, it's, a, it's that community that network you know and the music the food being able to go to you know your neighbor's house down the road mm. or you know and everyone very open sharing, yeah very connected yeah. but also the music and the culture that i like everything about that place i missed you know so i thought okay i'm going to recreate so when i look back at a lot of the events you know with feed you know even club events and cruises that i put on i was like i'm just recreating home that i miss you know mm. and making a, a business out of it um yeah that's the elements that i missed you know and i guess here now where we're at it's like trying to incorporate parts of fiji because we're usually in fiji at this time <laughs> um into you know sydney as well and having best of both worlds you know and you've done amazingly well with it you've recorded a number of different tracks um you've worked with lots of different artists you've supported artists as they've come here mm. could you tell us a little bit about some of the peak experiences you've had oh my gosh do you know one of the best experiences would be working with lauren hill you know from the fujis when they came Love out and, and jumping up on <laughs> stage and you awesome. know like going in and speaking to her going to their studio sessions and mm. telling them about pacific culture you know um, and, and the work that we were doing. So that was a highlight for me because, you know, um, not having many Pacific role models back then mm. to look up to, we were looking at American culture and, and people that mm. looked similar to us and that had similar stories. Even so, me, skinny Indian kid with skinny ankles. I was like still looking to the U.S. as, yes, as, as know, role models. Because we were looking for that, you know, and then to have someone that I looked mm. up to, you know, and to meet with and she started, I was doing a play at the time and she started promoting the work I was doing. So that was a bit of a confirmation to Amazing. say, okay, keep going on this pathway, you know. And Karis one was another rapper from New York that, you know, his story going into through youth work, 
um, inspired me to also go into youth work. And then having him come to a youth centre that I worked at, um, that I was performing at, kind of was another confirmation, keep going on this path. So, um, you know, there are two highlights. But even with the sports stuff, you know, like working with you guys and, you know, realising the importance of sport in this country especially with mm -hmm. rugby league and rugby union and how that has become a platform for us to share our stories but also you know the economical means and the influence that it has in our communities you know we both started working in in the sports space and being able to you know share through that and help um, shape how um, the events take place and the stories that are shared in in the sports arena has been quite you know, um, a highlight as well. Your dad would be proud of that. He <laughs> is, and I keep looking back at his photos going, it was you, you you were the one that influenced me, so yeah. I, I thank him for that. So you you're involved in the sports side heavily around players and protecting players and salaries, etc. Um, what, what, what do you think it meant for the community to have that platform of, you know, players, you know, 40% of league being represented by Polynesian um, Pacific players. Um, what does that mean to have that kind of platform where people are looking up and suddenly you're national and global superheroes? Yes, well, the, um, it, it, the whole desire to work with the sports side was, firstly, we had family members, obviously, that were playing, and then you'd or friends, um, the, um, and you recognize the, the gaps that existed, you know, for them, whether they were picked up from Fiji and, um, and brought over to Australia, um, or if they were then uh, groomed here and trained here, uh, their journey through that. And you could really start to see the, um, the gaps that existed with that, even for those, you know. And so it was a pattern that you start to recognize. So the opportunity to, so we used to run uh, with, as part of Fiji Day was the rugby as well. And uh, we used to have just local competition. It was all for fun. And um, it began that way, you know? But then, um, but then you recognize still that there was a lot of young Pacific people who were very talented and their pathways were very interesting, you know? Um, a lot of them end up on the wayside as well you know, through injury and so forth and not having the protections there as far as insurance and what kind of a contract they had, if they even had a contract, you know, how was the club treating them? So that started to um, highlight some of those gaps that existed there, you know. So trying to address some of that and learning at the same time, saying, hey, what if we do this, you know. Um, and so that was the journey with that. And then Later on, being in a corporate role where I was making the decisions where we would put our dollars and cents, and then knowing the gaps that existed, mm. it gave me a lot of insight is how we're going to negotiate this, you know? So, for example, <laughs> when it came to some of the contracts that started to happen, um, I would question it from a very different <laughs> angle. This was no longer about the, the ROI for the company. Yeah. But it was also our duty of care, you know, and making those, pe those clubs, making the code or whoever responsible, like highlighting it and say, you're going to put this money here, here, here. You know what I mean? So it was a very interesting journey, I could, see, you know, I could say. But um, it, it was great to see that there were changes that were happening from that level and that accountability 
um, holding them accountable. And it was a very different seat to sit in when you are the one holding the, the money bag and you're going, well, I'm making you accountable as the... So did you, did you, do you feel that coming from that commercial perspective, you were able to make that change in a way that may not have been able to be done in, 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 in any other way? Yes, um, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you know, when you're holding the money back, they will pay attention. And you go, well, this is how I want this spent. Um, this is how I want this spent. So there was a very interesting scenario. Um, I will talk about the situation, but not the actual one, where the, um, meaning the actual one, or actually name it, right? But I'll just use this as an example. You use code words. <laughs> we had a situation where it was a Fiji representative team. And, but this is not new just for Fiji. This was happening throughout the Pacific, where the management through the, on the country level of the sport is not really looking after their players the way that they should mm. uh, and being responsible and paying them. So we had a situation with the Fiji team. So this wasn't even an Australian organisation. It was a Fijian... That's correct, yeah. yes. Right. Um, and this is not just an... I was very involved in the Fiji side, but I've had this conversation with the heads of, you know, rugby's from other countries, um, as far as not so much the executives, but more those that are the sports manager, the coaches, yeah. yes, yeah. those that were really dealing with all that. Anyway, so we had a situation where um, payment wasn't happening, and so caught up with the players. The, the, the players actually came to me, and they didn't know. We were, I just invited them for some Fijian food into... You know, uh, uh, to have a, a little bit of a feed uh, after one of the games. And then they brought up the point that they were not being taken care of financially, mm. according to their contracts, and very concerned about their families and so forth. So it just so happened that I was in that space. So then the next day we were able to have conversations with the powers that be. And, you know, they got paid and... Some, a, nice, made, a nice sum was put into their account so they could be paid, you know, but nice, yeah. that would not have happened if, um, if I was not in the situation mm. and in the role where I could help out, you know? That's amazing. Mm. You, you have this ability to just go w find your way into the situation to make something happen, which is mm. very cool. You must have observed several... The smiling years. assassin. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And, and more conversations like that need to happen, you know, like being around people that make the decisions and, you know, then you can influence how these decisions are made as well. And I feel, you know, we do that a lot with sports and with a lot of different areas that our Pacific people sit within in, yes. in, this, in Australia. Yes. Is that still happening now? What you're... Yes, because you still have to hold people accountable and there has to be someone advocating for for the you know for those that um are not in the position mm. to be able to have a voice mm. you know i mean a, a huge important thing is to even be allowed to sit at that table mm. Mm. do you know what i mean so i make it a point i am not coming in in this level if you want me to be part of this then we need to sit at the table with you rather mm. than you just going this is what do you know what i mean yeah. and that's how it has been a lot it's yeah. very much still driven like that so to then go hang on a second no we're not playing mm. you know um because there's still a lot of 
advocating going on, right? Absolutely. In, in lots of different levels, not just in the sporting field, but mm. we take that on as custodians. We take that um, role very seriously as far as being leaders in our communities. We have the responsibility then, you know, um, to then to, to make a stand and to also um, play our part in it. So go, going back to the shift and the role of sport as a platform, that how has that impacted the community in the last, you know, 20 years, say, the kind of the rise and rise of the Pacific in, in, in sport and in, in Australia and role models coming through? What have you observed about the impact it's had on community as a whole, but also families and kids? The positive impact um, within the community would be, you know, them seeing people that look like them doing well, you know, and being on TV and, you know, so it encourages them to aim high. Um, you know, I love going to sporting events and hearing Pacific music, you know, and seeing elements of our culture represented, you know, whether it's the Pacific Day or whatever it is that's happening with any of the codes. Um, an interesting thing that I saw recently working with a school group was a, a young boy, you know, grade six, drew an image of him wearing his football gear and he wrote, I don't want to play football. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So there's also the element of pressure. You know, that, and yeah. I was just having this conversation last night with the educators that I was working with. It's like what I had to write, I don't want to be an accountant. Yeah, so they, <laughs> yes, and I Are don't you? want to be a housewife that stays home and cooks. Yeah. Um, you know, so it kind, you know, there's a lot of positivity across the community, you know, but then there's also the extra pressure for a lot of, mm. you know, those that are expected to be a, a sports person, you know, and, you know, we're seeing the negative impacts of that through the different um, scenarios that are happening within the different codes here in Australia. But the positive thing mm. is that we have a lot of ex-players going into the welfare units and working with the teams as well as the NRL that are sharing their experience and I do, you know, understand that programs are created so the, the players are supported. So, you know, it has its positives and negatives as well, you know? Mm. Yeah. I think one of the big things I want to highlight is early players that played here, um, they, their experience was totally different. They came here because of the sport, while the ones that are raised here um, can understand now that they, they, that's just the multi-dimension of it. Yes, I'm a sports person, but I can also be an accountant. Mm. Mm. You know, what have I got after my hopefully five-year career? Yeah. Um, has, or 10 years, if that, um, has ended. Where, do, where to from there? Mm. Um, do I end up in a factory? What does my future look like? Mm. So... You know, you've got your five minutes of fame. Mm. What happens afterwards? So, and there's a, there'd be a, a responsibility with the family as well in that yes. regard, wouldn't it? Yes, like particularly around injuries and what what happens. Exactly. Mm. So it's um it's having those conversations, and the the good thing that I've seen come out, especially of the uh, out of the NRL, is the education for for Pacific players. Yeah. You know, the, the mentoring, the coaching, the mental health aspect of it, mm. um, addressing those. That's a good start, a mm -hmm. start. Um, and but, having you know, Pacific workers, Pacific right. mental health and Absolutely. social workers. And, yeah. You know, Who've been down so that same journey. So they're adding the cultural context exactly. as well as 
you know, the health context. Yeah, and, and teaching them about other things around financial literacy and so forth, you mm. know, those, those things that are important parts mm. that are normally it's not just about uh, training the gym, you know, and then you're playing your games and how well you play. What happens outside of that? That's only 5% of that person's mm. life. What happens with everything else? How do they come to that, you know? Mm. So it's, it's good that those conversations are happening and the realization is there. So we're totally in a different place with it. Does that, I'm trying to answer your yeah, question yeah. directly no, no. with that. It, it's, it's like, you know, the Parramatta Eels player, um, Terapo, you know, there was a story on him yesterday how he's retired, but then he's opened up his own, you know, butchers in Campbelltown, you know, and he transitioned so quickly, you know. Mm. I thought, wow, that's great support by whoever's around him and, you know, his family as well, mm. so that he'd able to transition. And, you know, there's a lot more of those stories coming yeah. out, you know. And, and, and you've got these young players now who are, seeing, okay, I want to play elite rugby or be an elite sports person. Um, and my path to that is then being a personal trainer. There's a lot of young Pacific people who are personal trainers or going into, you know, um, going into that sort mm. of um, education and roles because it gives them that pathway before and after. Mm. Right? They can continue that. They can then coach themselves, train themselves. So mm. it's, I think that those things are, you know. And the other thing that we did very, very early on, probably about showing our age, but, um, you know, we started this youth organization over two decades ago now, right? I think when you started using the phrase young people, you already showed your age. Yes. When we yes. were infants, we started this youth organization <laughs> for ourselves. Um, <laughs> But the whole well, it was for ourselves because we didn't have it. Yeah, we didn't have it. And, but the, um, and a lot of our young people, especially Fijians at the time, were ending up in jail. They weren't finishing school. They were ending up in jail. So that was addressed, and there was some great outcomes out of that. But the, the uh, point I want to make about that is changing then the conversations where it's not just about the rugby. It was then, hey... Sports is one part of it, but not everybody's a sports person. So what happens to the others? Is that the only role model you're going to have? You know, so teaching them to then look at what their passions are. What are they good at other than just being a machine? Mm. They can do that. Yeah, you've got great genetics for it, but what else is there that you could do? Mm. So that was something that we started to talk more and more about. And now it's good to see that there's a lot of that happening. That's really cool. And tell us a little bit about um, families in the Pacific who have their families here in Australia or in New Zealand, for example, how, what, what kind of perceptions are there of Australia and New Zealand? And, you know, is, is there a kind of a perception that, oh, you guys are making, have access to all this money? And, you know, what, what are some of the common perceptions? Always. <laughs> Always. You know, I mean, because they see, especially now with social media, you have to be careful what you post because if you're, at, you know, can't post yeah there's that perception that you know we i mean we do earn a lot more and we are a lot more privileged you know but then that doesn't yeah it's very challenging um i find sometimes and but you know when we go back i always highlight the things that they have as well you know and now it's because when we were growing up it's like when i was in fiji we you know get from our 
our families in Australia and New Zealand, you know, so you couldn't wait to see what we'd receive. But as you get older, it's like, hold on, this is more of an exchange now. You know, there's so much cultural value and knowledge and IP that exists in the islands and, you know, we might have the material wealth here, but where is this exchange? And this is part of a conversation we've been having recently, you know, because diaspora has the opportunity to learn from the islands, but then, and, and have that, you know, we can facilitate that exchange of knowledge rather than us always giving back, whether it be financially or through material things, you know. So I think that's where we're at with that relationship, encouraging diaspora to, and people at home to realise, hold on, we both have value and what you know that we could be learning from and exchanging rather than just a one-sided mm. relationship how I do, find. how do they view your understanding of culture growing up here Ooh, they're, they're, they're quite um they're quite um i find with you know my experience here yeah, they're quite intrigued because you know when i go back home i go to the museum i go and speak to you know whoever's doing the cultural projects i try and go back to you know i've I only been back to my village once um but i try and find out a lot more about you know what's going on you know uh, in the islands and um they're like why do you want to know about that you know like because and we research a lot here we go the museum has over sixty thousand pacific artifacts you know the museum up, up the street dating back to cook's um journey you know so mm. there's we're always researching because we're disconnected from it we're here mm. whereas back home they don't have to it's everyday life there is no need or thirst mm. to go and look mm. for that knowledge so i find we're overly kind of <laughs> academically cognitively yeah it, you know things, yeah. yeah and and even with see my markings you know like this is a tradition that fijian women practice before um colonization but a lot of women on fijians don't talk about it or know about it because that knowledge just stopped back home a lot of the women would not get these markings now whereas mm. a lot of us that live overseas are, are, are hungry for it and mm. reconnecting as a way to reconnect back to our ancestry so yeah we we we're extra I would say. So what, what was the, your journey to understand? You don't share anything that we're not meant to know, but like what was the journey for you to work out how to go about doing the markings? Did you go, connect with family back there? Did you have some kind of cultural knowledge source My, about that? Or? The, the knowledge and history on this is quite limited, you know, like I was even talking to an older lady the other day and she said, I don't remember us being marked. But she said, I do remember seeing a lady when I was younger and she had markings on her legs. And I said, oh, my gosh, tell me more. Because even to have that history, to know that you saw someone that was marked, that's major because there aren't many women that are marked. I don't, I don't know of any woman in Fiji yeah, that's marked. Yeah, there's a big gap now yeah so for me it was yeah researching and being part of an exhibition and finding out more about the markings and then meeting someone who'd gone back to png and trained and then she went to fiji and learnt and so i was marked by a png woman so that was more mm. really trusting that my ancestors mm. would allow this and the right wow. markings so it took me two years the first time i spoke to her julia her name is um amazing the first, from Melanesian marks, mm. 
I said, I'm not ready. I can't do this. I, I don't feel right. So two years later, I spoke to her again and I said, I feel ready now. And, mm. you know, and I'd come through this whole research project and spoken to a lot of people about it and felt comfortable. Because, you know, for me, it's like continuing the stories of my ancestors and wearing them. You know, the women mm. that were told one day, you've got to stop everything that you're doing. You can no longer be the Fijian that you think it is. This is what you have to be now, my version of being That's Fijian. Right. And all of that is now shame and evil and And, and seeing devilish. images, you yeah. know, of these women and the sadness in their eyes, you know, and thinking, you know, and hearing some of the stories, I'm like, mm. okay, I'm doing it for them and I'm doing it for me. And I actually felt like I was stepping into my skin. Mm that when it happened because you know it's all done traditionally and my daughter was there and I had a close friend it was quite a mm. sacred process to Beautiful. be in and done here in Sydney you know I didn't feel like I had to go back to Fiji we but did it what, here. what work did you have to do internally to even get to a stage where you're listening <laughs> to all this because a lot of meditation oh. and a lot of quiet moments and and um prayer and also just researching and feeling comfortable and knowing that this is what i'm going to be walking with throughout the rest of my journey here on earth that major but I feel it's comfortable incredible. and I forget that it's there sometimes. Mm. But then it also is a responsibility for me to continue to share the stories of mm. the women that didn't have that opportunity to share, you know, and mm. to remember them. Mm. Yeah. See, culturally as well, the question that you just asked, this is integrated into us, you know. So it's not something that we have to go and learn. So for us, it's very natural. Our culture is very rich, very multidimensional. So we are already very comfortable in that space. You know, talk about spiritualism and so forth. So mm. for us, it's a journey back, but it's a journey inward. Mm. You know, so that's... I like that. it's, it's there, yeah. but you've come to Australia where it's not talked about. You don't, you yeah. don't learn that in New Zealand. And you have to go inward. <laughs> to find You yeah. know, you may have to do some research going back in history at the same time you're going inward because those two are going to the same place mm. you know so that's a very important part of it and so for it becomes for us we then go oh we'll label that a spiritual part now do you know <laughs> but um in the mm. western context yeah, but yeah. from where we come from it's, it's integrated not, yeah. it's integrated it's part yeah. of who you are yeah. so to um one of the things, as someone who was raised in Fiji and raised quite traditionally, um, when I came over to Australia, a lot of that was instilled, and then my parents carried that on here. But as most migrants know, who have lived and been raised in a different culture, they carry on that, those traditions and culture as they were back at that timestamp, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But when you go back, it's changed a decade, two decades. It's totally different. Mm. I can speak better Fijian. I understand my culture better than most people there. Mm. And so because we've kept that, we've, we're living in a different country, in a different place. Yeah. So it is our responsibility to preserve and keep that and you know, hold it as sacred. While those that are living in those countries, this is the same everywhere else, right? Those that are living there, they mm. don't recognize it. Mm. And then when you go back, they look at you and freak out that you actually can speak, you can do this, you understand this. But do they recognize that? Do they say, oh, you, you're actually holding the culture? Or, or do they go, oh, you're from Australia, there's no way you're holding Well, that's, like that's the first thing that they think, because they look at this. Yeah. 
And the first thing is, is to go, he doesn't know what he's talking about and so forth. And then you go, okay, he looks like a character from the Matrix. (laughs) And then you school them in it. Do you know what I mean? Make it a point to go, okay, let's just change your your whole perception of this. Yeah. And that changes then the whole, you know, context of it and so forth. So that's really an important part. Mm. How do they then view us here? They do see you as somebody from overseas. It's very, um, when you... In, in so many different circles, it depends, but, oh, you, so you think you're better now because you are, so straight away there's defenses about the mm. fact that you were not locally raised mm. or so forth. They don't know enough about you, so they just assume yeah. by looking at that or the way you speak and the way that you are. So there's a lot of assumptions being made already, right? Mm. Um, and so you've got to break those things down. So it's very interesting. You'll get all sorts of, you know? Do you think some people will find that challenging to have that here in Australia as you're walking around the streets and then you go home and you're getting the same <laughs> kind of assumptions. Absolutely. The Absolutely. Other I choose therefore not to fit into anybody's <laughs> box of how I'm supposed to be. So They fit into our box. You know? So it's <laughs> well, interesting. That's, that's right. If you are creating if, it. If you pay attention and go there, then, you know, I, I don't belong in a box. So yeah. let's just break that open and let's start again. Mm, yeah, yeah. Breathe and let's start. <laughs> Take a deep breath, everybody, and exhale. That's yeah, cool. That's really interesting. That's very deep discussion. Yeah, for so it's, Friday morning. It is, it is. But I know that both Friday of you lunch. love it. You just love it. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> uh, question about your hip hop now. So if we lighten it up a bit, um, can you tell us a little bit about Young and Lip? Young and Lip, um, this came up in our conversations earlier off camera because um, we talked about like hip-hop, right, and, and um, the, what the Pacific community are doing musically and this is a young person that came, up, came to mind because, you know, um, I'm just intrigued by his success, you know. Um, he shared his Spotify streams um, this week, I think it was 48 million, you wow. know, only been in the industry one year. I mean, with all of his streams on Spotify, he's got a few songs out so there. So where, where would this be shot? I think this is around Cabramatta. So, you know, down near Fairfield, Liverpool. And Cabramatta was traditionally known um, Vietnamese migrant communities, you yeah, know, after yeah. the war. So that's where the government settled a lot of the communities that Australia took in. But there, now there's this rise of, you know, this strong Pacific... Hey, is that our ne- your nephew? <laughs> um, Pacific um, presence, you know, and they're making their presence felt through music, which mm. is traditionally, you know, one of the strong elements of our culture. Is there telling a, our story a big, through music. Is a big Pacific community growing in um, Campbelltown way, yeah? Yes, a big, a yeah, big Pacific and... community, absolutely. Um, and, you know, also around this area, around the Liverpool LGA, Fairfield LGA. So so who's who? how would you break down your audience? That was, did you say 48 million? Yeah, 48 million worldwide streams within one year. You know? wow. And that's just Spotify, so this is not even counting. Yeah, this one has YouTube over 8 streams. million, just this clip. This clip alone, wow. you know, and, you know, and he's sharing this the experience of a lot of pacific young people growing up here in australia you know yeah, right. and you know okay we had our, have our football but we can't always be football players so okay we can sing and there's all oh, there's oh, so many groups if mm. you just google poly hip-hop or pacific you know rappers here in australia you'll find so many
many groups, you so know? I'm, I'm curious, where, where, who would be watching it? What's that kind of... I think a lot of young people, not just, just specific in people, the US young or? people around no, the world. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of interest from the UK because... Woolies gets a play, look at that. Woolies? Yeah, there's the Woolies. Oh. Sign at the back. Yeah. I hope they went It'll to be Woolies. The Maybe the next video. 48 million views. Brand positioning there. Yeah. The, um, what I see in that clip I was just going to mention is this is going right into their world, right? Yeah. And the other thing This is, is every day. Just this is every day. And we just put a camera. They just put a exactly. camera there. They just put a camera there. This is their lives. And what used to happen, if you look at the different generations, Reg, is you'd have um, young people, our Pacific young pe uh, people, feeling very marginalized, right? Let's take it back a couple of decades, not feeling a sense of uh, worthiness. And there was a lot of those things with the racial stuff. And so, you know, living and in belonging. those suburbs and a sense of belonging, you know, living in housing or whatever it may be, right? So then they start to, you know, journey on within and find themselves and then start to own their own culture, their own identity. And this is what happens because... Mm. This generation are now the cool ones. Mm. You're asking about who's watching this? Everybody mm. that is, you know, young people are looking at this and going, wow, that's cool, that's fun. It's hip. You know, it's like New York would be mm. the Bronx and mm. Brooklyn and that kind of, you know, roughness, but yeah. yes, edginess. Yeah. And this is what's happening with this. You know, there's this new and culture. If we, if we look at how mm. hip hop, you know, point. that came mm. out of the Bronx has influenced the world with yeah. our culture the way people speak like downstairs waiting for my coffee Pacific, Pacific heard, culture is cool I heard Pacific one pride. guy said yo what yo yo you know like and I'm like wow that is so American like 10 20 years ago only few of us would say that you know but so what's happening now will influence is influencing Australian culture yes. you know and pop culture yes you know and globally you you were asking yeah. yeah who's watching there's a big interest from the UK because mm. of the Australian connection and you know like the first fleet that came over and now they're looking at wow there's brown people there and mm. like people well, where are they from you know so the migrant stories are being shared and you know you have groups like one four like 21 HP boys from all around the country, they're getting these views mainly from the UK as well because they're intrigued by, you know, the multiculturalism that's being showed because they're only used to seeing neighbours and home and away traditionally and then now with social media and music, you know, they're seeing the different sides of Australia. Mm, that's so cool. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting exactly. time and our and, young and people York, are at the forefront. I think New York, uh, t to your point, hip-hop rappers really... In the old days of Mob Deep and the East Coast yes. rap that kind of rose. East Coast and West Coast. Now it's like Coast people can't afford to live in those places or they've moved. That's right. They've moved further out. Yeah. See, we look to them, right? Back in our time, they were our role models. Now, these young people had different role models. It's no, it's no longer just the United States, you know, and so forth. There's all these other... And people of color come popping up everywhere doing amazing things, mm. like this whole thing happening in the U.S., just the awareness of how they're selecting women and selecting people of color, you know, um, into the mix to look more like representing what the country looks like rather mm. than representing just a group of elite people, you know. So it's interesting to see that happening. Mm. And now these young people, they've got people like The Rock, mm. you know. You're talking about um, women like Lauren Hill, 
mm. women of you know passion mm. and uh, own their stuff. Yeah, mm. power. You know, there was uh, back in the day there was a little bit of Bob Marley and so forth, but that was then painted in a different color depending on where you know. But now these young people uh, can then own up and go, hey, this is my identity. This is my people. Mm. I'm proud to be a Pacific person. Mm. Mm. And there's all this. Because the, the Pacific cultures in themselves in the different countries is so rich. Like you could just spend so much time Im immersing yourself into all the different, mm. you know. I'm enjoying my journey of learning about the different parts of, you know, uh, the Pacific mm. and their culture and understanding it more, you know, within mm. the Pacific realm. I want to I so come much back. Richness. I want to come back to that. But just, just on the, um, the, the, the music side, are you finding that, is the system here, the music industry, supporting artists like this? Like, what are you That's, noticing? Because um, if, if it is an expression of culture and we are so diverse and we're full of all these different micro-communities and this is a little micro-community that's out in Campbelltown, you know, urban um, expression of identity that can, you know, proven to go global, what support... There, there's elements of the music industry that are slowly starting to support, you know, like um, um, there's a company, you know, like Niche Touring who does a lot of the big concerts here in Australia and New Zealand and in the States. They've been reaching out and working with young people in, in Western Sydney and supporting and mentoring and nurturing, you know, and bringing on different music record labels and, and management, promotional public. So in the last few months that I've seen the rise in that, you know, working and speaking to these different um, companies. But I find like, you know, companies, uh, the organisations that kind of oversee the music industry are slowly are yet to jump on board you know and see these groups have got millions of streams but they're not mentioned in the ARI Awards list that was announced recently, you know. And I'm like, how can that be when a lot of these groups are getting more views and plays than the people nominated? Like, why isn't this happening, you know? And I haven't been working in the industry. Like, I removed myself from the industry for a while and I've just come back again in the last few years. But I'm just seeing, like, the disconnect. So, you know, I've been a bit of a bridge between the two worlds this year, you know, to try and say... This is happening with or without you. You can jump on board because they're creating their own platforms and systems. Mm. They don't have to yeah, use you, the YouTube's traditional. YouTube's enabling that and Spotify yeah, and all of that. You know, and they're that. even creating their own platforms outside of YouTube, mm. you know, and building their own websites because they're mm. getting investors, you mm. know, mm. Um, and creating this. So it's either we get on board and how we can work together or you're going to have these different mm. um, industries and they don't need mainstream structures. Yeah. You know, and it's about being able for us that work in the industry, how do you adapt or how do you utilize what's being used in the new technologies, you know, because they're doing it on peanuts and then you have these well-funded companies mm. that are way behind. It's a lesson for all of us, you know. <laughs> and also becoming more savvy. In some part, there's a lot of these young people are more savvy as well with knowing their worth of what they have. Yes. They know how much that 8 million views are, you know, for that clip. So they're not willing to give it away that easily either. Yeah. So, you know, so it's a very interesting, I mean, there's going to be a point where uh, negotiating uh, monetarily from those that have big pockets that can fund this and help, yeah. you know, but what does that look like? So yeah. it's an interesting place mm. because 
maybe different before where you can just go, hey, I'm going to throw this much at you. And you go, okay, cool. You know, um, not that easy anymore mm. because they are, you know. Their own media channel. They can be their own media yeah. channel. Yeah, and they also have an, uh, uh, some understanding of the value of what they have. Yeah. You know, it's a totally different landscape now. So people are not as easy to be giving away their stuff that easily, you know, so it's, which is a good thing to see somewhat. And um, with these young people, there's specific companies that are coming in to support them. So, you know, like with this one, it's um, Beauty Group who's, you know, um, coming in and, and assisting this young person. So, you know, and mentoring him as well. So, you know, it's good to see the rise of the Pacific businesses in these spaces as well. Mm. Yeah. So um, um, on Pacific businesses, actually, Seva, you said you've got something coming out. Are you able to talk about that or is it? Yes, why not? Thank you for <laughs> giving me the platform. Exclusive. Yes. Um, basically, it's part of this whole journey um, of recognizing the, the need um, in the Pacific, especially small countries, pockets. And, um, you know, there's about 20 countries there that we're focusing firstly on, but it's about digital transformation and giving micro businesses, small businesses. The corporates, they already got the backing to be able to market themselves, right? But a lot of these small uh, companies do not have the capacity to. So this new product that um, we're launching in January is going to give a lot of uh, small businesses, entrepreneurs in, uh, in the Pacific uh, countries um, global reach. So it will be so it's a, kind a of platform. A Pacific um, yellow pages for on turbocharge to on turbocharge yeah. for entrepreneurs and businesses yes so the business size doesn't really matter but we do want to address the need especially on the lower end of that mm. giving them a platform to be able to whether they have website or not this takes the place of that if they're or enhances their website in that way so it's a listing for businesses but it also connects the community overall because you'll be able to find as a basically the mission is is to provide a platform that is a go-to for Pacific people and friends of the Pacific that are looking for whether it be you're looking for a church you know Pacific people love to go to church yeah. so being able to find a listing wherever you are so it's incorporating all your your power tools of Google mm. map Google search mm. Facebook WhatsApp YouTube, it's all integrated into the platform. Amazing. So that, I, you know, what, what used to happen before is I would be looking for something in particular. Let's just say I'm looking for a tattooist. Uh, Trey's looking for a tattooist, right? Um, is that what you call it or would you call them a tattooist? Marking was used Yeah, marking. Marking. A marking. Daumbati, they call them, the, the traditional. Right. So yeah. imagine trying to find that person. It would be like you would be searching through a haystack, right, trying to find a needle. So giving this platform so you can find whatever it is. So because it works by location, if you're in Sydney and you want to find one in Sydney, it'll pull in the data in Sydney. But if you wanted to search for it in Papua New Guinea, you can search in that country as well. Mm. So it allows that scalability for businesses to operate both locally. Mm. It'll be totally available with mm. them locally. Mm. And then, of course, giving them, should they wish to, have that global reach. And we're going to tie in all the, um, 
you know, looking at the, the payment systems and payment gateways mm. to make it easier for transactions to occur. Amazing. So the inf infrastructure is not totally there in the Pacific at this point, mm. but uh, we are getting there. There's companies that I'm talking to, uh, technology companies and, and um, merchant companies who are creating these products. So we want to be able to integrate payment systems and payment gateways and so forth to take that, you know, barrier away and make it easier for for um, small businesses and for, for me to find whatever it is I'm looking for and mm. vice versa, right? So interconnecting the Pacific yeah, within it's itself huge. as well as to the world. Absolutely. Right? So if you're someone who's going to go to the Cook Islands and you want to find a bed and breakfast in the middle of mm. somewhere, you know, uh, we want to be able to have that so that it's not only for Pacific people, it's for those that might want to travel to those countries. Yeah. So it is like the yellow pages, white pages of that country. It's like TripAdvisor mixed with yeah. it's maps, so mixed with YouTube, mixed with exactly. Facebook, mixed with, mixed exactly. with yellow pages. Mixed That's with. right. And, and <laughs> imagine this. So if you're looking at the listing for that particular business, you don't have to go and call them even through there. They'll have their phone number, but you can messenger them or WhatsApp them directly right so instant connection mm. without having to pay a toll call to get to them i mean this is normal for us here mm. but it's huge when it comes to the pacific because the infrastructure is not there yet amazing mm. that's exciting yes. so what are the what are the time january you say january <laughs> can you share the, what the name is like what? pacifica world pacifica.world beautiful yes. it says exciting. it all you were touching on um, one of the final topics, but um, you were touching on Pacific. The Pacific is a is multidimensional. Can you talk about that a little bit in terms of identity? So, if, you know, at, at, to what extent are you Pacifica? To what extent are you Fijian? And how do they interrelate with each other? Hmm. Being Fijian and Pacifica. Yeah. It's, um, you know, like when we talk... You're a good one for this one. <laughs> yeah, she's, I mean... She's multidimensional in her race, you know, in terms of culture. My, my heritage, yeah. it's Fiji and Samoan Chinese, but born in Fiji, raised in Western Sydney. What a mix, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, And for me, I find I, like, I've managed to create my world to ensure that I can continue to be that, you know, like... So my days would be talking about culture. Tomorrow it could be going to a Pacific event. You know, on Monday it will be talking about Pacific cultural heritage to young people and using music. So I've been very lucky that I've moulded my existence to continue to incorporate those identities, where for a lot of other people they might have the Pacific food at home or the Fijian food at home and then have church or their gatherings on the weekends where they can really be Pacific. Because I find that with us that have these different cultural heritage, you know, when we're... Uh, when we go out into the world, whether it be at work or school, you have to fit in that system. And this is, you know, mm. we're constantly negotiating, you know, like because yes. we ha all have to be different identities wherever we are, you know. There's different cultures in the office, at school, at home, in the different social settings. So I, for me, I find, you know, I've managed to be all of that every day 
but I find for other people they have to switch off being the Pacific person and be this person today and then when I go home then I can be myself mm, mm. you know because we're all it's we're still a new um society here in Australia and then with the new cultures coming in it's constantly changing mm. and I do I mean that's what I see people are still having to you know today I have to be this but tomorrow I'm gonna go into school wow. and be this do you know what I mean? But do you get the same the sense of pride? Like, so if I said, "Ah, oh, you're Pacific. Ah, oh, you're Fijian." I mean, what? What? I, I like to be yeah, the Fijian, Samoan, Western mm. Sydney. So more specific. Because my my experience is definitely Western Sydney. You know what mm. I mean? But then when I speak, I don't speak just for me. I speak for all of us. You know, and um, I mean, not saying that I'm taking the voices away. It's it's more like I'm um, recognizing that I exist and I'm part mm. of a family and a community and a long line of ancestors that. I speak about, you know, that they are still mm. with me. So it's not just the I. So I, that's why mm. I like to use the Pacifica term. I don't mm. use Polynesian because I find that it excludes the Micronesian and Melanesian groups. Mm. And I don't even like to use those three terms because they're not our Come terms. On. You know what I mean? That That yeah, is yeah. a way of categorizing a group of people based on what they look like, where they live. And it's that very anthropological perspective, yeah. you know, and the historical perspective. It's not from us. Mm. Whereas I... I like Pacifica and I've actually spelt it my way with a C because in New Zealand the experience is different again because you have your First Nations people who are the Maldives, then you have your Polynesian and your Pacific people that have migrated. So it's different there, different context. Mm. Whereas here, if we're not First Nations, we've all migrated here. You know, and I think of us all as Pacific because mm. we're all, you know, whether we're Maori, Samoan, Tongan, we are a Pacific peoples. That's mm. how I see it, you know, mm. and we are us together. And then together we are stronger. Mm. That That's my take on that all. You can tell I've thought about this for that's a little amazing. bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Multidimensional, you said, right? Mm -hmm. the, the whole, I found it interesting, the, the point that you made that they have to... Um, what, what word did you use to describe when they move from something to another? They have to transition and reconcile or renegotiate. Negotiate, negotiate. yeah. Whilst I would probably use the term um, discover. You know, we're, we're just discovering different aspects of ourselves, of our being and, and elements, rather than it being, being fitting into a particular box or fitting into a particular thing, you know, um, that I can be free then to kind of go home, you know, if I'm willing to journey and discover mm. this aspect of who I am, rather than looking at it from it's this, and then I'm going to chop it up now, I'm going to chop it now in, into pieces or slices. No, it's, that doesn't, in the way that I view it, it doesn't exist that way. It's so whole and universal, and therefore it's just me, my willingness to journey and discover and explore those certain elements so mm. you know so yeah. rather than identifying uh, as a Fiji and or so forth I find any of these boxes so limiting like whatever <laughs> label you put on it it's an aspect of who I am the essence of who I am is so much greater than that and um, you know um, Aretha Franklin I think was asked once was it Aretha Franklin? Yeah, um, Aretha Franklin was asked, you know, how, how have you done it? How have you, through different generations, reinvented yourself? And Aretha Franklin's response was, 
um, I don't reinvent myself. I just discover a, another part of myself. I am. <laughs> I am. Nice. Um, yeah, very interesting. And, you know, um, it, it's always important to, you know, like when we're talking about culture and looking, you know, it's all, I always ask, how do you want to be? you know, identified as, because we can sit here and say, oh, no, we say Fiji, Pacific, you know, poly, whatever, but, you know, it also does come down to the individual and how they want and where they are on their journey as well, right? Because we're all like spiritual so, beings so having this human experience the, with the, the different cultural <laughs> elements. A little rose-coloured <laughs> over here and blue over there. But that's easy to say from your perspective, right? But that doesn't make it easy for other people <laughs> who are trying to engage. Like, let's say Aussies who are trying to engage with the mm. Pacific, for example, or engage with the community. It's impossible to navigate. Well, it's a, it's a different so way what, of thinking, what, what's right? Your advice, different... if, what's your advice to all Aussies who just want to learn a bit more about the Pacific and about Pacific identity and Pacific culture? Apart from rocking up to Fiji Day. See, okay, <laughs> people, this is, the, this is the point I want to make. We are lazy. So, no, we're not. No, 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 not the Pacific people. I'm saying as human <laughs> beings are lazy, yeah. right? We want to box everything and make it easier for ourselves to just racially profile and put things. It makes it easier for us. Mm. So you, what you're asking is make it easier for the other person. The person yeah. doesn't want to do the work. Customer service, you know? <laughs> You know, let's take it right down to a very sensitive topic about gender and identity in relation to gender. We've got this whole thing, you know, and I've been in places where I've had to go call them by their name or them, you know, because you don't want to offend them. So therefore, you'll call them by their name. You can't call them he or she in respect to what you're saying. So I would go, what do you want me to call you? Like, how do I identify? Whatever that is, I will respect it. Ask. Ask. I will respect it rather than making the assumption. This is why I'm saying it's lazy and it's easy for us to, like, if you really see the person, mm. ooh, if you really see the person and really want to be interested in that, then you're going to go there. You're going to take the time. But it's easy for me to just kind of go, well, you know, middle-aged, white, mm. or dark, six foot, this, that. It's, it's easy then to kind of go demographic, you know, geographical and go through that because it makes it easier for us. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a physical experience as well that we're, you know, yeah. through, through our senses we are. And then yeah. you are seeing them through lenses. You're not really going to experience. They're all filters and lenses. Mm. I know I'm taking it like, you no, know, no, to think, but what I'm saying is that we created all this We've created this, all these things that have now they've become such a big problem because then people are going down this rabbit hole and it just becomes, you know, mm. confusion. And even the people who are trying to identify themselves are confused with some of those terms and what does mm. that mean? So it's kind of, yeah, it's just, it takes away from the person seeing who they are. So I think yeah. maybe we should remove those lenses because mm. I never fit it into one, right? Mm. So I, I didn't feel like I fitted into any of these groups, yet I was comfortable in all of this group. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. Because I could see bits of it in uh, myself in all of it. But sometimes the labels are useful, yeah, to be able to describe, you know, gathering hmm. or for certain purposes. You, it exists as a label maybe for a purpose, but it doesn't exist 
in the real interaction, perhaps, yeah. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from with that. I'm totally just taking it uh, yeah. uh, from a perspective of, you know, when you're meeting people for the yeah, first time yeah, yeah. and how do you... That's the human... Yeah, yeah. another connection part. Yeah. Um, we, we still need to use like those a, tools. Hard example, right? Government programs. There's a big focus on the Pacific now. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard for a bureaucrat or government to actually kind of, oh, we want, we want to put a focus in that region and they have to come up with... All this money's been unlocked how do we you know how do we refer to this how do we engage the community and they'll they'll talk about community engagement but so we're talking about collective it's when you don't know like what what's the advice you would give to people when they when they don't know and they haven't gone through the journey you've gone through can i just uh, before you yeah (laughs) the the point is is that there's two different things that we're talking from i'm talking from an individual perspective yes you're talking from a community or group perspective right Mm. or a group of people or a tribe or so forth right Mm. that has served its purpose and i'm not taking away from that yes yes by saying oh then it's just vanilla Mm. Everybody's having vanilla, you know, because therefore I'm not being judged. Blah, 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 blah. I'm not going down that path with it. I'm just saying that the, yeah. the perspective I'm coming from is from an individual perspective. Yeah. We still need all these mechanisms and so forth to, yeah, <laughs> Napolitan. Mm. I think, but yeah, to answer the question on how they enter the space, ask people and, you know, just, and I find with a lot of programs, no matter what level of government, there isn't enough time going into the research beforehand, you know. Like I recently had to do a project uh, uh, for a year and a half and I said the six, first six months I'm going to go and talk to people and meet and gather. That's what I'm going to do before I start yeah. on the ground, you know. And, it was a, and luckily they understood. I said I have to, as a Pacific person also, you know, I have to go and mm. talk. But coming from outside, um, yeah, I would, I would just say... Find out who the key people are yeah. and speak to them and have these conversations, you know. Mm. You will then know how to act, you know. And, you know, even I going to a village in Fiji, I can't just go in there. I have to ask permission and ask, you know. Mm. So even amongst ourselves, we can't just go in and speak. And we always have to do the research before we yes. go in. Yes, it's being respectful. Yeah. Yes. Cultural appropriateness, you know. Mm. But yeah, even mean, that's a word, right? Yeah. Like if you don't know that, if you, don't, you know what it means, but not everyone knows what that means yeah. and, but in application. Per- absolutely. So the person has to do their work in understanding yeah. how to navigate through those different groups, you know, mm. respectfully. But then if we pull back and when you work on any project or with any type of group, cultural or not, it's rude to just walk in and say, hey. You yes. know, and that's what a lot of us do. We do that here. Um, let's just find out who's the head honcho, who's been doing stuff, speak to them, find out the history of that office, organisation, community group, whatever, school, and then go in. You're more equipped. Now, any project I do, whether it's a school project or mm. government or what community, I always research, you know, mm. and find out what I'm stepping into before. Mm. Understand I what protocol undertake. exists, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. It's been so amazing to have you both on here. Both of you have gone through your own journeys, made made cho- amazing choices. Lo- lovely to hear about your story of your journey the of the marks. Um, and so we, we knew that you fly in different worlds, but we learned, we learned more things every time. <laughs> we, we <laughs> the just, thank you for having us. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, thanks. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Thank you, yeah, and for providing the platform for us to talk about so many interesting topics for our people and to share with, um, you know, 
other communities that are interested and can learn from. Awesome. Cool. Appreciate it. Um, we might have MC Trey on the outro. Oh, yes. This track's daily. Can you tell us about this? Filmed in Fiji, Pacific Harbour, mainly between Suva and Nandi. And interestingly, um, with the Sevens team just happened to be training. training. <laughs> so we, you know, got them tra- elements of training in there. But one of the spaces that I love going to and would go, I'd swim on these beaches as a kid. This wow. is where we had our family barbecues and picnics. You know? Stop! Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> And, and created by Terry Creatives and song produced by Chasm and actually recorded here in Surrey Hills. So was this, this is this a village there or is it my um, that, That's um, a hotel resort style space, yeah. Yeah. but it's also where um, the Sevens team and a lot of the sportings teams go to do it's their the training. It's on the mainland. Okay. Yeah. Why do they train there? I guess that's the space that they've always used historically and then because you know the sevens team got quite famous so a lot of other teams from around the world go in and train um, in the space there so they've developed further developed it and um and there are tournaments held um in that area as well Mm. yeah so near the hotel um is an equipped um you know football field where they do their training then they train on the sand and yeah. and all sorts of things. And the sand See dunes that. are close by, so, you know, all the spaces. There's the field. Yeah, and it's it looks a lot more developed now. And um, this, this the song's daily. Talking about the daily yeah. stuff that we go through daily and encouraging people. You know, sometimes you could be stuck on a treadmill, you know, using that metaphor, but encouraging people to push, push through and changing the perspectives on how we see things. Yes. It's always about self-development and, and mm-hmm. positive in, uh, encouragement. And how long did it take you to write the song? What was one that? sitting? Sat in the studio, <laughs> actually just down the street, listened to the song one sitting. And and it was actually after Donald Trump got elected, so I was really concerned at how the world was going to change. Mm. So that now he's leaving, I have to write another song yeah. on how the world has changed even more. A Biden-inspired song, maybe. Maybe, but you know, he has his own things that I'm not too happy about either, but yeah. No, that's really cool. Beautiful clip. Yes, thank you for sharing it and hope your daily is as positive and as beautiful as Fiji. Oh, can only wish. (laughs) Nice. Vidaka. Oh, my goodness.